Well, hello, JFC. How's everybody doing out there today? Doing well? Hey, um, before I jump into my message, I wanted to share something really important um, to my wife and I, um, and that is this. Uh, About two months ago, we had a baby, little baby girl, our fifth baby, and we came to you very quickly after she was born, and actually Pastor John shared uh, before the church um, about some complications that we had with her birth. Um, the birth went fine, but she was having some health issues, and she had what's called a congenital diaphragmatic hernia, um, which was foreign to me whenever we jumped into this whole process, so it surely is probably foreign to most of you. Um, and what that meant was that she was born with a hole in her diaphragm. Um, and because of that, during gestation, her, her kidney, or I'm sorry, her spleen and her intestines came up into her chest. Um, and as her heart and lungs were developing, created pressure there. And obviously, as you can imagine, that's not the way our bodies are created to be. So there were some issues there that they recognized very quickly. Um, and with some really amazing God instances, um, we were able to get her from um, Littleton Hospital within just a matter of a few hours <clears throat> after being born um, up to Presbyterian St. Luke's Hospital. Um, and within just a couple days, she had surgery. Um, they fixed the issue. They patched up her hernia. Um, and she went through a process of two and a half weeks in the hospital, healing and just really doing amazingly well. So I've tried to get up here and share a little bit about what's happened with her. Um, but I stand before you or sit before you um, today and share just amazing news. Yesterday, um, we had an appointment with um, our daughter's uh, cardiologist. And he checks her heart out and whatnot because there's a lot of heart issues that can come from this with, with children that have um, congenital diaphragmatic hernias. And yesterday he gave her um, an amazing bill of health, really mostly a clean bill of health, um, said that there's no complications with her heart, took her completely off of oxygen, which she's been on for the last two months of her life. Um, we've met with surgeons. We've met with doctors. We've met with um, so many people um, just through this whole process. Um, and we are just, I'm able to share with you, I share this with you, not just to be able to inform you, but I share this because God has been so faithful in this situation with our daughter that it is overwhelmingly just apparent how good he is and how much he loves us. In fact, I say that, um, I know many of you are like, oh yeah, you're a pastor, you say that stuff and whatnot. Well, my wife and I sat down um, last month and we dedicated our, our little baby girl. Her name is Bronwyn. We dedicated her. Um, and before the dedication, we sat down and we wrote out about the first four weeks of her life, everything that had happened with her, because there's just so many things that had happened through this process. And after writing all of that down, um, we said, we just want to see what God has done in this, what doctors have done, what God have, has done. And as we recounted all the things that had happened, we counted 11 legitimate miracles that God has performed in her life already in the first two months of her life. And when I say miracle, I mean it. You know, we said miracle, miracle miraculous. What does that mean? That means that only God could have done it. No doctor, no medicine, um, no professional, no nothing could have ever done that in the natural other than God stepping in in that instance. And 11 things through her life God has already done miracles in. And I bring that as a testimony of his faithfulness, a testimony of his healing. In fact, she's right here in the front row. And if I can show her off briefly to you guys, it's a little girl. And as you can see, God is faithful. He is very faithful. Um, And as we walk into this season, I think it's ultimately important 
for us to understand the love that our Father has for us. And this is just one ability for me to come and share something with you guys about how good our Father in Heaven is. So let's jump into the message, all right? While we do that, I want you guys, if you have your Bibles or if you have notes in front of you, I want you to turn to Luke 2. Luke 2. And as you turn there, I just want to welcome everybody from our campuses uh, whether it be from Castle Rock or Highlands Ranch, anybody live streaming with us or watching us later on podcast, we are so glad you're with us today. Um, and we just hope that coming and just me able to share what God has put on my heart um, and the Holy Spirit being able to pierce through this would just change hearts and lives in this season. So, everybody at Luke 2? All right. <clears throat> if you're not, you're too slow. All right. Luke 2, verse 10 through 14 I think it's appropriate to read this. If you guys don't know about this, this all, uh, most, most of the beginning of Luke 2 is the Christmas story. And I'm not talking about the you'll shoot your eye out Christmas story. I'm talking about the real Christmas story. Although that's a great movie. All right, verses 10 through 14. If you guys want to just follow along as I read. And it says this, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Would you guys just pray with me? God, I thank you, Lord, as we approach the holiday that we celebrate your birth the birth of your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that we can come and that we can know you personally. Lord, that we don't just have to read about you in your word, but we can know you personally. And God, I pray that this weekend you would come in powerful ways. God, I pray that you would meet us, every one of us, where we sit. May you pierce our hearts. May you pierce our minds. God, I pray that not one person, including myself, would walk away this weekend untouched by you. Lord, we invite you in. God, I pray that the words of my mouth would not be mine, but they would be yours. Lord God, I give you full authority to speak through me today and to speak into the hearts and the lives of every single person who may hear this. Father, we love you. In your name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, we are in the second message of our series, Vintage Christmas. And when we came up with the thought of Vintage Christmas, really the mindset was the decor that we were going to use. Vintage being something that was old, vintage being something that was um, classic, you know, classy, if you will. But I, as I dove into um, studying for, for my message, um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to see what the word vintage means. And so I went into the dictionary, um, and, and assuming none of you brought your dictionary with you, um, you're going to have to trust me on this. Um, and that is, um, the word vintage, when used as an adjective, has two very distinct um, meanings to it. And one, which really, I think, brings great revelation to um, even, an even better idea of what we talk about when we talk about vintage Christmas. And the idea is this. Vintage, in the adjective definition, would be representative of the best. Not just old, but representative of of the best. And they actually used the idea of Shakespeare. And they said, okay, Shakespeare's old stuff is not just old, but it's his best stuff. And so when they talk about vintage Shakespeare, 
You're thinking not in your mind just the older portions of what he did, but you're thinking about the best of what he was able to create. The other thought of this is of lasting interest and importance, venerable or classic. And so this message today, and in fact, Luke 2 that I read to you guys, I think is a vintage piece of scripture. When we read this, it's not just something that happened 2,000 years ago, but when we read about the birth of Christ, we actually read about that which is of lasting importance, that which is actually more than classic, that which represents the best. This event in Luke 2 has changed the course of humanity for the better. And I think that it is only appropriate as we walk into this season that we recognize it for the vintage event that it was. Now, I recognize, though, in that, um, in, in, in verse 10, um, the angel, as he comes and proclaims this, says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. And so my question, as I read this portion of scripture, getting ready to study for this message was, am I partaking truly in the joy of what this season means? Am I walking in the blessing and really the inexpressible joy of a Lord and Savior being born to us, Jesus Christ? Are you experiencing his joy? And so I thought about that, and I've walked down that road quite a bit over the last few months, knowing that I'm going to be teaching this message. And I've realized that the answer to that is based upon a choice that we make in our lives. If you are not experiencing the joy of this season and the joy of our Lord and our Savior, you've made a choice not to. And if you are experiencing the joy of our Lord and our Savior and the joy of this season, you've made a decision and a choice to experience that. Now, I am not here to beat anybody over the head. Um, And I got to be careful with this because if I'm going to be fully open and honest, I could tell you that the last two months of my life have probably been the two most difficult months I've ever walked through. Not just because of what I shared with the issues that we've had with our daughter, but it has just been busy. It has been tough. It has been difficult. It has been draining. And really, opening fully up to you guys, I have not experienced the joy of what Christ wanted to bring through this season, through Thanksgiving, and coming into Christmas, it has been a struggle for me. And I don't know if you guys, I've had conversations with many of you out there, and I believe that um, this season many times lends to us just losing all of that, you know, just trying to survive, saying, I'm going to get through Christmas, or I'm going to get through this into the new year, everything's going to be better. Um, And I just want to challenge, as I feel like God has challenged me, I want to challenge each and every one of you today, and you guys at Castle Rock and Highlands Ranch, and anybody who may listen to this, to make a choice. As we walk into this message, make a choice right now, and make a stance in your heart and your mind that you're going to experience the true joy of Jesus Christ during this season. So, you'll see in your notes, I put down the thought of drinking from two cups, I truly have been overwhelmed with the thought of the fact that I haven't been partaking in the joy of this season. And so as I really drilled down into that, I thought, well, what, what is preventing me from really enjoying this season, really taking it for what it is? And I believe that what God shared with me was the idea that we have the opportunity and the choice to drink from one of two cups in our lives. And the first cup is the cup of the world. 
And I believe that Matthew eleven twenty eight, and I put, the, put A there because it's only the first portion of that scripture that I want to focus on right now, really sheds light on the idea of what the cup of the world is. And it's Jesus in his own words, and he says to people, he says, come to me, and then he's speaking to people who are drinking from the cup of the world. And the people who are drinking from the cup of the world are the people, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened. Well, I, uh, I said, okay, well, that's kind of interesting language that Jesus used there. So I'm going to go and I'm actually going to dive in a little bit deeper and find out what these words mean that he's using. Um, people who labor and heavy laden and over, overburdened. And so I went and I actually looked at the original context and meaning of these words. And the word labor, very interestingly, and I think many of us can relate with this, the word labor means beating, weariness as though one had been beaten, or even this more importantly for us, Physical tiredness induced by work, exertion, or heat. Maybe not heat, but physical tiredness induced by work or exertion. Can anybody relate with me on that? Anybody just been tired through this season? How about this? Heavy laden or overburdened. Physical and spiritual afflictions. Troubles and burdens of all kinds. You know, I believe that this Christmas season is an incredibly blessed time. But it can also be one of the most difficult things that we walk through. There's financial burdens that we bear. We want to make everything right. We want to get the right gifts, and we want to be able to bless people, and we want to make people happy. And so we bear this burden of not only finding those, but now getting the money to support those. I know a lot of people get extra jobs or try to you know, get overtime or um, things that they try to do to make ends meet during this season, and it becomes a burden that we bear. Um, we got family. We have friends, we have events, we have parties. We got all the little things that come along with this season that each and every one of them by themselves are not bad. In fact, they're great. But when we combine them all together, many times we get tired and we get weary and we bear burdens that weigh us down. So I put in the notes the idea of the weight of the world through this season, and that's not just this season. I'm, I would be naive to say it's just this season, but I think that many things um, that come specifically because of this season are birth new things that we only experience this, this, during this season. But I think this, that, that this is a word that can come um, in this season or out of this season. It really can be something that uh, we, we either live or we don't live throughout our entire lives. And the idea of the weight of the world is that when we walk through life, many of us are just carrying the burdens that the world puts on us. When we bear the weight of the world, it births labor, and it births burdens, and it births busyness. In fact, you know, the world many times says to us, it even screams at us, we can't go on without you. You know, we see this with friends, and we see this with family. How many of you guys have Facebook, or MySpace, or LinkedIn, or Twitter? Anybody out there? I know there's way more of you than raising your hands out there. You know, we are constantly connected with the world in front of us. And anytime we don't get on those things, we have people, is everything okay? Are you good? You know, or when we're not at work and we want to take some time off and people are like, what in the world is going on? You know, we are constantly being screamed at and the world is saying to us, we can't go on without you. And in reality, many times we listen to that and we miss what our Lord and our Savior is calling to us and what God says to us. And he says, you can't continue without me. And the world screams so loudly at us that we bear the weight of the world, we're put underneath its burden, we labor and we toil and we strive to work towards making all of these things around us happy only to forsake what God and our Lord and our Savior is speaking to us during that time. I've been there. 
In fact, I'm walking out of it right now. I'm walking out of it right now. I have been too long in this place of bearing the weight of the world, trying to make everybody happy and trying to make everything work okay and listening to what's been screaming at me only to forsake that which is most important in my life. The weight of the world and drinking from the cup of the world bears fruit in our lives. It bears fruit, and it's not good fruit. Um, In your notes, I actually, sitting down, think I I probably put this in an inappropriate order um, because I think it starts like this. The fruit of drinking from the cup of the world first starts with activity. It first starts with activity. So in your notes, reverse point one and point two in that. starts with activity. Now, what I mean by activity? Well, Sometimes we are created to, to be connectors. I don't know if you would agree with me or disagree with me, but I believe that that's who God has created us to be. We are created to be connectors. We connect with the world around us. We connect with our Lord and our Savior. We connect with things all over the place. But many times in our lives, we've equated connection with activity. And that's not appropriate. In fact, we bring this into our spiritual lives all the time. We do religious activity And yet, in reality, many times miss the connection with God through the activity that we're partaking in. And I think that we could do this all over the place. We fill our lives with activity. If your life is not filled with activity, I would love to speak with you to know how you just told everybody and everything, I ain't doing it. Because I can't do that. And it's really difficult. And if you say no to one thing, another thing pops up. We fill our lives with activity. But are we really connecting? We're created to connect. We're not just created to have activity. So we start this activity, and the fruit of this is happening. And so we keep drinking the cup of the world, and we keep adding more activity, and we keep going out there and doing this, eventually only to make ourselves tired. We become so tired. You know, I don't know about you, but I just can't do everything. I've tried it. I've tried to do everything. And in the end... I, you know, when my head hits the pillow, I'm so exhausted I can't even sleep. Ever been there? Ever been to that place where you're just so tired by all the activity and the things that are going on, you actually can't rest? It's a tough place to be. It's a tough place to be. So we become so tired and we walk down that road and we continue to fill our lives with activity, not realizing what's making us tired. And then we become bitter and we induce strife into our lives. Now, this is where I've been. Uh, in fact, to, I, I, I want to be transparent with you guys, not so that you can beat me over the head with this, but I hope that you can learn through some situations that I've walked through recently. Um, and I hope that maybe you can relate, that I'm not just sitting here throwing myself out, myself out there and that you can't relate with this. So I hope that you guys can relate with, with these stories that I share with you guys. How many of you guys are aware that a few weeks ago we did a Thanksgiving outreach here at the church? You guys out there? Anybody? Yeah. Castle Rock, Highlands Ranch. I think Lone Tree has no idea what's going on here. Um, we did, okay, for those of you who don't know, we did a Thanksgiving outreach here a few weeks ago at JFC, and an amazing thing. It was a wonderful time. Um, we were able to bless 
um, hundreds of people through this Thanksgiving outreach, families who are less fortunate, not able to provide meals and even gifts for their families. And so every year that my family is in town, um, my wife and I and the, and the children, um, we try to partake in the, in the Thanksgiving outreach to whatever capacity we can. So this year we decided we were going to um, go and help deliver gifts and help deliver um, the Thanksgiving meals to families. Well, by this point through the month, I had already you know, extended myself as far as I could go. Um, and this just became one of those things that I really wanted to do because I really wanted to bless people, but it was just another thing on the list at that point. So we hop in the car bright and early in the morning, pack the kids in, my wife Amy gets in, we head over to the church, um, kids are being rowdy, they're having fun, they're being kids, we pick up everything from the church, and I don't know what it was through the whole process. I had in my mind that I really wanted to experience God's joy, Christ's joy through this by being able to partake in something that really had nothing to do with myself, partaking in something that was a blessing to other people. But what I found was that I was so tired, and I was so exhausted, and I had so many burdens that I felt like I was bearing that I just snapped. And I yelled at my kids, and I became just such an irritable person at that point, and I sucked the joy and the life out of that situation like that. And I don't know if you can relate with where I'm at, but it just ruined the day. And I'm not kidding you. I mean, it's like, you know that you did something stupid. When everybody's having fun in the car, you say something or you yell it out, and all of a sudden the car's silent for the next 30 minutes. You know, and I have five kids under five. Normally cars are not silent like that. I did something wrong. In fact, you know, the way that Dan, Pastor Dan would have shared it would be, I sinned. I sinned in this situation, and I let the burdens and the weight of the world suck the joy and the life out of what I was partaking in. So you get to the house, and you put a smile on your face, right? It's like, hey, here you go. You know, everything's good. And then you pile back in the car, and everything's not good. Everything's not okay. And you realize, and I, at least I did, I realized at that moment, like, wow, why am I where I'm at? What is going on? And I had just been bearing the fruit of drinking from the cup of the world. That is truly the ultimate fruit when we don't walk in what God has called us to, but when we walk in the burdens that this world wants to pass on to us, we walk in tiredness and weariness, we bear burdens, and we labor towards something that the only fruit that it has is strife and stress and strain and no life in the situation. And as I look out here, I see heads nod, and I think that there's probably more of us who are walking in that place than would really like to say. And if we assess our lives and we really look at where we're at, and maybe it's not all of you, and I hope it's not all of you. I believe it's not all of you because I believe some people are where God wants them to be right now and the connection that he wants with them. But I believe many of us, especially in this season, are in a place of drinking from the cup of this world. And it's time to put the cup down. It's time to walk in life. Something is broken. Something is broken in many of our lives. We've taken the idea of connection and we've turned it around to something that really has nothing to do with God. And so I got a video that I think really helps um, show what this brokenness is. So if you guys would watch this. Time to get that multitasking, 100 billion neuron connecting, priority arranging segment of your wonderfully constructed brain to contemplate this. Ever wonder how many handshakes take place in a day, how many hugs happen, how many one-to-one face-to-face conversations go on? What about glances, kisses, laughs, and prayers, ways we connect? 
and you right there right now how are you connected to the person next to you the people around you your friends your enemies the strange dude at the mall how about the movies you watch the books you read the messages all around you and how do you connect differently than people connected in the past so many thoughts ideas blogs text posts and tweets these days everybody wants to connect to someone or something and the world wide web of intersection and connection has changed everything get this one out of eight couples married in the U.S. in 2008 met through social media. Unfortunately, half will be divorced in five years, connected and disconnected. There are over 500 million active Facebook users who spend over 700 billion minutes per month clicking, posting, uploading, and downloading. An average user is connected to 80 community pages, groups, and events, and each person creates 90 pieces of content each month. Folks got a lot to share, lots to say. So much that the average user spends 55 minutes per day, 6.5 hours per week, or about 1.3 full days per month on Facebook. And that's just people sitting around home because more than 200 million are on Facebook through mobile phones nowadays because long lost are the days of landline phones, busy tones, and yeah, David Jones. And speaking of cell phones, in 2004, 674 million were sold, which is 105 million less than the 779 million sold in 2005, which is nothing compared to the almost 4 billion sold in the last three years. Some people in the world who don't have toilets or houses have cell phones. People really want to connect. But wait, there's more. One trillion text messages were sent in 2008, 1.5 trillion in 2009, and then it went up to 6.1 trillion just recently. That's a thousand texts per person for every person on the planet. That's a lot of connecting. Yet this hasn't even scratched the surface. There's over 50 million tweets per day, over 60 million LinkedIn people, and 43 million people still visit MySpace per month. Then there's however many millions on Ning, Tag, Meetup, Bebo, My Yearbook, and Friendster looking at everything from posts to pics to video. Speaking of which, it would take you over 27 years without sleeping to watch all the videos uploaded on YouTube just this week. Everybody wants to connect. Connect with a friend, connect with family, connect to the past, connect to the future, connect to God. Hmm. Connect with God. The one who created connections, voices, images, ears, eyes, smiles, kisses, glances, faces, friends, music, color, stars, electricity, light, laughter, and love, just to name a few. Connect with him? And what does that mean? Well, you connect the dots. It's pretty amazing, huh? We, if you don't believe it, now maybe you believe when I say, we're created to connect. We are people who love connection. But something in many of us and in our lives and the way that society throws things at us and the way that the world is, something is broken with our connection. And so we keep drinking from the cup of this world only to connect in ways that drain us and suck the life right out of us. So the first cup that we have and the choice that we have is to drink from the cup of the world. Well, the second one is what I call the cup of life or the vintage, the best, the choice, the lasting, the cup of Christ, the cup that brings life. Let's jump back into Matthew 11. Right after Jesus said, come to me and all the people who are drinking from the cup of Christ, or cup of, um, cup of the world, excuse me, that he's talking to, he says, all of you who labor, all of you who are heavy laden, all of you who are over, overburdened, these are the people he's talking to right now. He says, come to me. And then he goes on to say, I will cause you to rest. And the Amplified, which I love this because it continues to expand on this, it says, I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart, and you will find rest. And then they expanded on that, and they said, relief and ease and refreshment and recreation 
and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is wholesome. It's useful. It's good. It's not harsh. It's not hard. It's not sharp or pressing. But it's comfortable, gracious, and pleasant. And my burden is light and easy to be borne. What amazing words that our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ shared with us. He says, listen, all of you who are drinking from the cup of this world, put it down. I have a cup that brings life, life through rest, life through relieving your burdens, life through taking off that which you hold and taking on that which I give. And when we walk in that church, there is true and abundant life in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can walk through this season, not with our heads down and just hoping we can get through it, but with joy, amazing joy. You see, true connection, connection with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, brings rest. It doesn't bring weariness and it doesn't bring tiredness. It brings rest. Verse 29, in Matthew 11, Jesus even said, learn from me. Don't learn from what your neighbor or people on Facebook or the television or the next popular thing tells you is the way to connect. You learn from me. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to show you what's important and the things to walk in. In fact, I think when Jesus was 12 years old, he lived this out in his life And in Luke 2, it's actually just after what we read at the beginning of this message. In Luke 2, verse 49, um, you probably know the story. It's Jesus traveling to Jerusalem with his parents um, for the the, uh, Passover feast. And they went every year. And when he was 12 years old, they went to the Passover feast. And just like they did every year, they went back home. And they thought, you know, they, they would go in big groups of people. So they thought, sure, Jesus is with us. So they left. And lo and behold, Jesus actually stayed behind in Jerusalem at the temple and and he started teaching all of these men in front of him that were way older and, and should have been way more wise than he was. Well, his parents eventually looked around and they said, where in the heck is Jesus? Um, you know, Mary, what did you do with him? And she said, well, I thought you had him. You've probably been there with your kids too. Um, and they're like, oh my goodness, we just left him in Jerusalem. So immediately, you could probably see the situation in your mind. Immediately, they turn around and ran back to Jerusalem only to find Jesus in the temple teaching and doing God's work. And so they come and they're freaked out. and They're like, Jesus, what in the world are you doing? And Jesus looks at them. And I love the way the New King James Version puts it. And he says to them, he says this, Why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? How many of us are really about our father's business? I'm about my business most of the time, to be honest with you. But Jesus, if we truly learn from him, as he has called us to in Matthew 11, then we would learn that we're supposed to be about the Father's business, not our own. And so he said, why are you even surprised? He says this to his mom and dad, why are you even surprised that I'm here? Don't you know that this is what we're supposed to be doing? I have to be about my Father's business? Church, we're to be like Christ. Therefore, we're to be about our Father's business. How about you guys at Castle Rock or Highlands Ranch? Are you about your father's business? Do you guys truly believe that the words of Christ, written in red letters in many of your Bibles, are truth? Because if it is, I think many of us have our priorities out of line. Been there, walking out of it. 
One of the greatest ways to experience true connection, one of the most practical ways, at least in my life, is to create margin. Many times, we don't create margin in our lives. So you say, okay, well, well, Pastor Marcus, what do you mean by creating margin? Well, I have a perfect example. My wife is the one who actually uh, brought this. So we walked through this whole Thanksgiving debacle. Um, I would love to say that after that, everything just transitioned and changed and everything was beautiful, but I've walked through multiple instances of of that over the last couple of months, um, really just struggling. God, this is not how I want to be. This is not how I want to act or react. You know, I feel like they're just bringing death in these situations. And I would go to God and I would just ask him to take my yoke and bring me his and just walk through all this. And, um, you know, it would, it worked for a period of time and then you walk right back into it. Um, and so we went into a situation and this is actually the day after Thanksgiving. Um, every year, my wife started a tra- uh, tradition in our family, which I love called Pillar Day of Fun. And many of you may have heard about it before, um, but it's a wonderful thing that she, we've done it for six years now. Ever since we got married, we did, we've done Pillardale Fun, and normally we try to do it the day after Thanksgiving. And what it is, is it truly is my family, my wife and I and all of our kids having a great time as a family. We decorate the house, we put up our Christmas lights, we do Christmas cookies. Um, this year we, uh, we decided to go to the Royal Gorge and we rode a train at night through the Royal Gorge and we saw Santa Claus and we drank hot chocolate and, you know, ate dinner on the train. Uh, A few years ago, we went and saw the Christmas lights um, at the Wildlife Experience, and we watched the Grinch. And, you know, we try to make it a fun family day. But so many times, how how often does a fun family day turn into a freaky fest of just messes and, you know, things that we just don't really want to happen? Well, we walk into this day knowing all the things that we had planned— and I, I know, I don't think, I know that my wife was wise enough and smart enough to see where I was at. I was again on the verge of just ah, freaking out before the day even started. So we walk into the day, and one of the things that's always my job on Pillar Day of Fun is hanging the Christmas lights. So we walk through the day, and I don't really like hanging Christmas lights. I mean, I think they're beautiful when they're done, but I don't know, Whatever. Luckily, we don't do a ton on our house, so it's still even easy, and I still don't really like it that much. But we walked into this day, and my wife was wise enough to notice where I was at and the importance of what that day held. And rather than trying to burden me with saying, you have to do this, Marcus, she actually chose to create margin in my life and to say to me, you know what? Even though we normally do this every year, this year, don't do it today. Let it go. And you will never know what that did for me because she, she created margin that I just didn't see there. I saw all the tasks and all the things that needed to happen, and I had no margin and no room in my life to not do those things. And her coming to me and saying, you know what, let's just not do it, put a light on in my head that says, how many other places in my life can I create margin? How many other places can I be on purpose to give myself room and to not overextend myself and continually drink the cup of the world only to find myself in this place where I just am in a mess. You see, it is our responsibility to create margin in our lives and to not fill that margin with other things, but to fill it with connection with God. 
It's a tough thing to do, though. It's not easy, but it's important. When we drink from the cup of life, the vintage cup, it also bears fruit, just like drinking from the cup of the world bears fruit. But the fruit of drinking from the cup of life, initially it's rest. Jesus said with his own words, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We drink from the cup, he gives us rest. We drink from the cup, he gives us rest. Bottom line, he gives it to us. Out of that rest, we get recharge. Now, I tried to think of this really good example of recharge. Pastor DJ's sitting here actually laughing because in my notes, I couldn't think of a great example other than rechargeable batteries. That's not a great example for a message, but in all reality, it's the way that we are. We are created like rechargeable batteries. You get a rechargeable battery and it's only good as long as the charge lasts. And then if you keep a rechargeable battery in whatever device you've put it in and it's drained, it does nothing. It's no good for anything until you take it back out, you put it into the charger, you let it fill back up, and then you put it back into the device where it was supposed to work. And we are just like rechargeable batteries. Whether it be mentally, emotionally, physically, or spiritually, we get drained. And somehow we have to recharge ourselves. Somehow we have to get filled back up so that when we walk back into life and we continue to be drained, we have a way to recharge. Because if we're drained, we have nothing to give. Spiritually, I think we miss out on it many times. We found that taking time to rest, whether that you feel like that's laying in your bed or watching football on a weekend or whatever, recharges us physically, many times mentally. But have we missed out on what recharges us spiritually? Ultimately, I actually believe that there's a huge importance on this. Maybe one of the most important things this weekend that I teach is the idea that you need to have time to recharge. And you need to go to your Lord and your Savior, and you need to be on purpose to create margin where you can sit with Him and recharge. And if you don't, I challenge you, see what the outcome is. Because when we're able to recharge spiritually, I believe that it filters into every area of our life. I believe physically we're given grace. I believe mentally, somehow supernaturally, God releases those things, the burdens that we have been carrying. Emotionally, things that we can't deal with, when we've recharged spiritually with Him, the emotional portion of it falls in the line. Jesus says, I'm going to take care of it. Come to me, all you who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You recharge in me, and see what the fruit of it is. The last fruit from connecting with God, from connecting with Him, from drinking from the cup of life is joy. Church, are we experiencing joy during this season? I started out with an angel in Luke saying, I bring you good news of great joy. But are we experiencing the joy? Seriously, I have spent the last two months of my life missing out in the joy of what Jesus Christ wanted to bring to my life, and I'm done. I'm done. I am. 
And I don't just say that. In fact, this weekend before diving into these messages, I purposefully came here early to connect with God. Because I said, God, if I cannot connect with you during this time, how can I ever expect our congregation to do that? And so I sat for a couple hours being recharged. And I cannot tell you today what a blessing that is in my life. I come from a place where I feel like God has filled me back up and I am ready to take on this world and all the things that it has, but it only has come out of a place of me being on purpose to recharge. Are you willing to recharge? Are you willing to connect and to drink from the cup of life and to throw off the cup of this world? Are you okay with drinking from that which has no value? I am not. I don't come as a phony. I don't come as a fake. I have not got this buttoned up. I am learning from this, but I am not walking in the junk that I have walked in over the last few months. I am done with it. I am walking in this season in joy, in everlasting joy. The last part of Matthew 11, verse 30, Jesus says, that we have to take on his yoke and his burden. And I was trying to figure out what the heck that meant. I'm like, that's great. The first part of this sounded wonderful. You know, you might, you know I, I'll bring you rest and I'll take all these things away from you. But then he goes and talks about taking, you got to take on my yoke and you got to take on my burden. I'm like, well, that sounds kind of counterintuitive, you know, like, I just gave you mine, but you gave me back yours. Like, what does that mean? So I just, I dove into this a little bit, and I found something. Uh, it's an excerpt from Matthew Henry's commentary in the Bible, and I don't know if you guys know who Matthew Henry is. If you don't, don't worry about it, but he wrote a commentary in the entire Bible that's probably like 10 times as big as the Bible, um, and he's just an amazing theologian, a wonderfully, brilliantly wise man. Um, and so I took some of his words um, and I, I changed a few of the archaic language that was used there. And I hope that this means to you what it meant to me because it really opened my eyes to what it meant when Jesus said, not only will I give you rest, but you take on my yoke and my burden. And so this is what Matthew Henry said. And as I read this, I just want to invite uh, our worship pastors um, here at Castle Rock at Highlands Ranch to come up. And we're going to get ready to close here. But this is what Matthew Henry said in this commentary. And he says, we must come to Jesus as our ruler and submit ourselves to him. Take my yoke upon you, he says. This must go along with the former, for Christ is exalted to be both a prince and a savior, a priest upon his throne. The rest he promises is a release from the burden of sin, not from the service of God, but an obligation to the duty that we owe him. Note, Christ has a yoke for our necks as well as a crown for our heads. And this yoke he expects we should take upon us to draw in. To call those who are weary and heavy laden and to take a yoke upon them looks like adding affliction to the afflicted, but the importance of it lies in the word my. You are under a yoke which makes you weary. Shake that off and try mine, which will make you easy. Christ's commands are all 
in our favor. We must take this yoke upon us in order to draw in. You see, he doesn't replace the burdens that we have with his own burdens. He replaces it with really with his blessing. The responsibility is what that yoke is. It is our responsibility now to connect with our Lord and our Savior. The yoke that he puts on us is what draws us in. And church, I have given us plenty of time to be able to connect with God. I have purposefully made this short enough. I can talk. I'm full of hot air. I can talk forever. But rather than talking, how about let's live it? How about let's do it? Let's enter into connecting with our Lord and our Savior so that we can walk and experience joy in this season. So I invite you, this first song, whether you're here at Lone Tree, you're at Castle Rock, you're at Highlands Ranch, this first song, I want you to sit and I want you to connect. Honestly, I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to say, Jesus, I need you to take the heavy things that I'm bearing right now, the burdens, the difficulties, the situations, the financial stress, the weight of the season, the travel, the family, the friends, the events. I need you to take those. And I willingly take upon myself your yoke and your burden, for it's easy and it's light. Church, connect with God. Connect with God. Bottom line. Pastor Nate.